Thank you, Dave, Miss Beth, Jeremy. I hope Jesus comes back tonight, amen? I'm good with that. I don't know what I'd have planned tomorrow. That'd be any better. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Three weeks ago, we started a 14-message Sunday night series on random subjects from a stack of sermon ideas cards that I've been accumulating for a long, long time. And last Sunday night, we talked about when the Lord makes up his jewels. We talked about how Judaism in Malachi's day was characterized by the priests and people giving God their leftovers rather than their best. We talked about how Judaism in Malachi's day was characterized by people considering their faithfulness and work for God to be a weariness rather than a joy. We talked about how Judaism in Malachi's day was characterized by God's people refusing to tithe and robbing God by considering the first tenth uh, their own rather than God's. And then we thank God that in the midst of that spiritual mess, there was a group of believers who chose not to be like that. They faithfully assembled. They spoke together about the things of God and God uh, said, I will remember them when I make up my jewels. And we were encouraged just to simply remember that God will always have a faithful remnant and that any believer who chooses to can be a part of it. But you're not going to be able to be like this world around us and be one of God's jewels. Tonight, I would like to talk to you about things that are for sale. Uh, prices in restaurants and grocery stores are pretty high after three years of Bidenomics. Most of us buy as many things as possible on sale. In fact, when I personally go to the grocery store, and I don't go all that much, but when I go, I buy anything that's on sale that I think we might use in the future. The problem is, is I never check what we have before I go. And then at times I get home and we've got like 12 boxes of cereal. Uh, some stores, they even seem to be organized, so like they never plan to sell anything at regular price. Kohl's is one of those. Uh, I mean, if you pay full price at Kohl's, you're either new to America or you just got all kinds of money to blow. I mean, you go in there, things are on sale, they have clearance racks, they mail off, mail out 10 to 30% off, scratch off mailers, you get a 10% uh, discount using your Kohl's card, and then if that weren't enough, you get Kohl's cash. I mean, I went there one time, I bought like 10 ties for $7 each. They were regularly $30. And, and honestly, I probably still overpaid for them, but they left me feeling really good about myself, and that's one of my goals. Uh, some of you are pros at using coupons. Uh, I mean, it is like a craft and a profession uh, for you. And let me just say, good for you, but I hate being behind you in the grocery store line. Someone I know who likes to buy and sell things says this, everything I have is for sale, but nothing I have is on sale. To be honest with you, I'm really not very good at selling stuff that I'm done with. I pretty much either always give it away, I get just chiseled down by whoever's negotiating with me, because in the back of my mind, I'm like, listen, if I wanted it, I wouldn't be selling it. Do you have anything that's for sale? By the way, I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about something more important than stuff. I'm talking about our life. 
Are there any key aspects of your life or your faith that are for sale? If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought is, Take the For Sale Sign Out of Your Yard. Take the For Sale Sign Out of Your Yard. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in the Word of God, in verse 8, it says again, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. He saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Thank you, you might be seated. You may remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was teaching his disciples about prayer. People misname it the Lord's Prayer. It was Jesus teaching on prayer. But a part of his teaching on prayer, you may remember him saying a part of that prayer was, lead us not into temptation. You see, Jesus knew what it was like to be led into temptation and just how difficult that temptation can be. Go back to the beginning of chapter 4, and following Jesus' baptism, chapter 4 begins, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God command that these stones be made bread. Uh, Jesus knew what it was like to be led into temptation. By the way, if God does lead you into temptation, know that it will be something you can bear and that there is always a way to escape to victory. Uh, Jesus was not led into temptation to sin. Our Father never tempts anyone to sin. He was tempted here, led into temptation, to defeat Satan in a way that is available to all of us. He got victory with the Word of God. Now, I hope you understand, most of the time when we get uh, tempted, we're, we're not led into temptation by God. By the, to, by the way, most of the time when we end up in temptation, it's because of our own carelessness, because of our lack of discerning the desires of our flesh unchecked. And if you think about it, if a marketing organization was launching the ministry of the Lord Jesus, remember, it just launched. He went to uh, verify John the Baptist's ministry and, and in effect said, listen, I approve of John the Baptist and his ministry and his message. He let John baptize him. And remember, the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And, re pleased. and remember, the Spirit of God came down and rested upon him with a dove. And that's how his ministry began. Now, if we were a marketing company, we would never never launch the ministry of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the way God does, because basically he gets led, in verse 1, of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, if we were to turn to Mark 1.12, it says he was immediately led into the wilderness to be tempted. I mean, think about it. To start your ministry, 40 days fasting, 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness, that's not flashy. That's not marketable. That isn't something that causes the world to say, well, I, I would like to uh, be a spectator to that. I, some of you have talked to me and said, well, are you going to come watch the pickleball finals? Honestly, I hadn't even considered it. 
I didn't even know pickleball was a spectator sport. I didn't even know it was a sport until a few weeks ago. But a marketing company would have never launched the ministry of the Savior like this. Uh, and, and quite frankly, our culture and most people, they're far more concerned about their public image and flash than they are their substance. Uh, if Jesus had Facebook, he wouldn't have used filters on his pictures. Uh, if he had Facebook, he wouldn't have some false social image that didn't match who he was. See, our society and a lot of people yearn to pretend. Christianity is about substance. Who are you really? Who are you from your heart? It isn't our image. It isn't what just the world thinks and the flash. Who are we? And Jesus was all about that. Now, we read earlier, and you can go there, of the third of Satan's three temptations of Jesus. It was a temptation for all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. In verses 8 and 9, it says, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You could say that Satan was checking to see if there was a for sale sign in the Savior's yard. Was the allegiance of Jesus to his heavenly Father for sale if the offer was all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them? Now, I don't know if you really thought very deeply about this, but there's really no physical mountain from which you could see Rome and Italy and Egypt and uh, Alexandria and Egypt and Athens and Greece and Paris and France and Beijing and China, who were the great cities of the world in that time. I, I don't know where the devil took them up. I don't know what this mountain was, but somehow he allowed Jesus to see the, these kingdoms in all their glory. But it wasn't just the kingdoms of that day. It was also the kingdoms of our day. I don't know of a physical mountains that you could see New York City or Washington, D.C. or L.A. in the glory of America or Paris, France and see uh, the Eiffel Tower or Moscow or Brussels or Berlin or Cairo or Johannesburg or any of the places on our globe today that might be considered uh, this is the world. I, I don't know how Satan showed him, but he showed him all these things and he basically says, Will you follow the will of your Father that will cause you to be hated, rejected, beaten, and bear the sins of the world and die? Or will you give your allegiance to me for the very best of this world? I mean, Satan, in effect, is saying, are you for sale? Is there anything I can offer you to keep you from doing your Father's will? He's saying, what will it cost me to get you to reject the plan of your father and to follow me instead? See, somewhere between the sixth day, the end of the sixth day of creation, when God proclaimed everything to be very good, and the day when Satan assumed and possessed a serpent to tempt Eve, Lucer found the sale price for one-third of the angels of heaven. Have you ever thought about what it really cost Satan to purchase the fall of man? He didn't actually give them anything. He said, God is keeping something from you that's good for you. 
He said, this forbidden fruit will make you wise and make you more like God. It didn't really cost him anything. And Adam and Eve, because they were for sale and their loyalty to God was for sale, they bought what Satan was selling. Satan will always make sure someone will buy whatever you or me in our heart are willing to sell. Whatever aspect of your life, whatever aspect of your faith, whatever thing that God has designed to be a part of our life, listen, if in your heart, if it's for sale, Satan will bring a buyer. Are there any aspects of your life that might be listed on Craigslist? Any aspect of your life that might be, or your faith, that could be on Facebook Marketplace? Is your moral purity for sale as a young person? What will it cost Satan to get it? Is your moral exclusivity for sale as a married person? What will it cost Satan to get you to leave it behind? Is your commitment to the Lord's church for sale? Is is your commitment to the ministry to which you've been called and and gifted to fulfill, what will it cost Satan to get you to leave leave it go? What will it cost Satan? What what about your commitment to train your children in the ways of God? What what will it cost Satan to get you to abandon that responsibility? What about your commitment to this Bible? The, The one with the these and those. What will it cost Is that for sale in your mind? Are you persuadable? What will it cost Satan to get your quiet time? Your time alone in the Word of God, your time alone speaking to your Creator. What will it it cost Satan to get that from you? By the way, some of you here tonight, you don't have that, and you've already sold that aspect of your faith. Satan will always make sure someone will buy whatever you or I in our heart are willing to sell of our life or faith. Thankfully, Jesus defeated Satan with a weapon that's available to every true believer, the written word of God. Notice in verses 10 and 11, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, uh, he says, for it is written. By the way, before we go on, notice, the Savior of the world, the author of the Old Testament, says it is written, not it was written. Malachi was already 400 years old. Uh, The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were 1,400 or 1,450 years old. They were copies of copies of copies of copies. And the Savior of the world says, not it was written in the originals. It is written in what you have in your hand. It is written, uh, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. By the way, Jesus had authority over Satan because he is the creator. And the creator has authority over the creature just like he could stand in the back of the boat in the Sea of Galilee and say to the storm and the winds, peace be still, and they obey him. Listen, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, he immediately obeys Jesus whenever he commands him to do anything. And yet, he chose a way to defeat him that you and I can use. He chose a way to answer the customer seeking to purchase his loyalty in a way you and I can do. And Jesus here, he paraphrases Deuteronomy 6.13 and quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 as a uh, 
as the final straw to send Satan packing in this, uh, in, in, in this temptation. Uh, listen, Satan gave his sales pitch, and Jesus said, no, I'm not for sale. I don't care what in this world you give me. I don't care how much money you give me. I don't care how much fame you give me. I don't care what land you give me. I don't care what house you give me. I don't care what you give me that you have to offer in this entire world, and I will not give you anything that belongs to my Father. Now, without pausing to think about it, you might think it far-fetched to say that anything we're willing to sell, Satan has a buyer. Have you ever really thought about it? Judas had a price for which he was willing to betray the Savior. He was stinging from a public rebuke from Jesus. And so he went to the religious leaders and he said, what will you give me and I will deliver him unto you? What will you give me? He was willing to betray the innocent blood for 30 pieces of silver. Sold his own soul in doing so. Herodias had a price for which she would expose her daughter to the lustful eyes of Herod and those he entertained. She was willing to expose her daughter for access to Herod's careless promise for up to half of his kingdom because she wanted opportunity to revenge John the Baptist preaching against her marriage to Herod. The prodigal son had a price Satan would pay for him to abandon and dishonor his father in Luke 15. Satan had to send extra money, people to live riotously with him, and women who were willing to be immoral. And in paying the price... He purchased the pain of his loving father and a broken life when he was a son who knew better than living that way. In every case, where someone was willing in their heart, Satan sent someone who was willing to pay the price for their loyalty. Are you for sale tonight? Are there any aspects of your life that could be listed on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace? Is your moral purity for sale as a young person? What will it cost Satan to get your purity? Will it cost him someone who gives you attention? Someone who tells you they love you? Someone who makes you feel attractive? Will it cost him someone who will say they will marry you but haven't married you yet? Will it cost him making you lonely that you become desperate? Will it cost him lying to you and telling you you'll always be alone? You better latch on to this one. No one else is going to come up. Listen, if you and your moral purity are for sale, Satan always has a buyer. What about your moral exclusivity as a married person? What will it cost Satan to get it? Someone at work who listens to you better than your spouse? Someone you consider more attractive than your spouse? Someone who gives you more attention than your spouse? Does he need to deteriorate your marriage to the point where you would excuse cheating on your spouse? Has he caused you to be bored with the normal routine and grind of life? What is it going to cost him? Is it really for sale? Listen, no one sits here and says, yeah, it's for sale. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes it is. Is your commitment to the Lord's church and doing ministry for sale? Will it cost him someone to say bad things about you? Criticize what you're doing. Will it cost him a company that's willing to promote you, make you uh, unavailable to be committed to the things of God? Will it cost him a sports team willing to play and praise your child? Will it cost him a coach who 
flashes college scholarships in the face of your fear of the cost of education? Is your commitment to the Lord's church and ministry for yourself? Is your commitment to train your children in the ways of God for sale? Will it cost them a kid at school, give them a hard time for their faith? Will it cost them a conflict here in the church? Will it cost him somebody convincing you that no teens and children live for Christ today? What is it going to cost him? Is your commitment to train your child in the ways of God for sale? Will it cost Satan your child being popular at school? Will it cost Satan some lucrative scholarship? What, what is it that you want most for your child? Do you really, from the bottom of your heart, most want them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and find in Him their all in all, to follow Him as a faithful disciple, to be whatever He's designed them to be, whether it's a faithful layperson, whether it's a person in ministry, whether it's a person on the mission field? Are they, do you really want that for your child? Are they for sale? Does anybody pray that God would call young people to ministry? Oh, no, Brother Wally, it's too hard. There's no money in it. Listen, if it's for sale, Satan's got a buyer. Is your commitment to this book and sound biblical doctrine for sale? Will it take some church leader who sends more, says things more smoothly than I do? He's got better, better illustrations. He doesn't raise his voice. His forehead vein never pops out. He's got a full head of hair, and most of it isn't even gray, and I don't even think it's from a bottle. What's it going to cost him to get you from a place like this? Christian friends who are good people but don't have sound doctrine but they're interested in having you around. Will it take some church or church leader enticing you by promising you some position in their church? Will it take someone with sound doctrine mistreating you so you have an excuse now to just say, well, if that's the way people with that doctrine are, I, I don't want that doctrine. I mean, what's it going to cost, Satan? Now, is, is this book and biblical doctrine for sale to you? Will it take your children or grandchildren not wanting to be in a biblical conservative church to lure you away? I, 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 I'm no prophet in sense of knowing the future, and I don't know everything about everywhere, but I think I know this, is that there's a lot of churches, if parents and grandparents were willing to say, do you know what, I don't believe what's going on here, they're not going to get any more of my money, I'm going to go somewhere and support what I believe instead of being with their kids and grandkids, it would change everything. But a lot of people are for sale for the presence of their children and grandchildren. Will it be the lie that you've done your time? Will it be the lie that it's now someone else's turn to carry the ball? What's it going to cost? What's it going to cost Satan to get you away from a sound biblical church and sound biblical doctrine? What's it going to take? Oh, what about your quiet time? Is it for sale? 
your time each day to open up this book and just humbly bow your heart and say, God, I want to know you. Please teach me. God, I want to understand your words. Please help me. God, I cannot understand unless you help me. God, please teach me. What is it going to take to get your quiet time? Is it going to be your fear that you're going to get in a traffic jam so you leave your radio on instead of praying? Is it going to be your love of music so you leave your radio on or your iPad on or whatever it is you send the music to your car stereo on to keep you from your quiet time on your way to work? What's it going to cost Satan to get your quiet time? Are you going to have to become really, really good at a game so that you now stay up late and you can't get up early anymore? What's it going to cost him? Are you for sale? Restless night that convince you you can't get up in the morning. Satan convincing you that God isn't listening or you can't understand anyway what you read. What, what's it going to cost him? Satan will always make sure that someone will buy whatever you and your heart are willing to sell in your life or faith. Listen, there would have been a time in Judas's life when he thought he never would do something like that. But he sold. There would have been a time in Herodias' life when she looked in the eyes of her young daughter and would have said, you know what, I will never dress and have my daughter act in a manner to purposely cause her to be the object of the lustful eyes of evil men, and yet somehow she sold out. There would have been a time in the prodigal son's life when he never would have thought his life would end up in the pig pen. He never would have thought he could hurt his father that big, that, that deeply, and yet he sold out. Are you for sale tonight? Is there any aspect of your faith that could be listed on Craigslist or Marketplace? L listen, there's probably almost no, there, there, I'm sure there are people sitting here who are saying to you, you know what, as soon as I can, I'm getting out of this church. There's probably people here sitting here tonight say, saying that. There's probably people here tonight, you know what, if my family didn't go here, I wouldn't even come here. I don't like the music. I don't care that it's more like psalms. I'd rather repeat everything. I'm real sick of Brother Wally preaching and walking around. Are you for sale? Will you take the for sale sign out of your front yard and throw it away instead of putting it in your garage? Which gets us to our message tonight. That's really just our introduction. What can I do to make sure the most important things in my life are not for sale? Like I said, there's probably very few, there's probably some, but very few people sitting in here tonight saying, you know what, I'm hoping someday to leave this church I'm hoping someday to get out of my ministry. I, I really, I can't wait for the day when I don't have to read my Bible anymore and I don't feel obligated to pray and, and, and I don't feel the pressure of pointing my children in the ways of God. There's probably a few people here, but most people here, that's not how you feel about it. You feel about it, well, you know what? I never want to be for sale. That's, that's how most people feel. That's how I feel. But by the way, I'm not preaching to you because you're inclined to this. I'm preaching to us because all of us are inclined to this. What do I need to do to make sure the most important things in my life and faith are not for sale? I'm glad you asked. Please go in your Bible first to Proverbs chapter 4. 
Hope you read your Bible every day. I hope you make special effort in addition to your Bible reading to read Proverbs. I hope every day you pray, oh God, give me wisdom beyond my years. And I hope you open up the book of Proverbs and say, God, give me wisdom. I want your wisdom. I don't want the wisdom of this world. I don't want my wisdom. I want the wisdom that's from above. It's first pure and then peaceable, gentle, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without hypocrisy, without partiality. Oh God, give me wisdom. What do I need to do to make sure I'm not for sale? Here's number one. You must guard your heart. You must guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is not already underlined in your Bible. It should. It's a great Bible principle. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Remember that word keep means to guard and to make secure and keep safe. Keep, guard, make safe your heart. You say, why? Because everything in life flows from your heart. You must guard your heart. You know, being honest with ourselves about the condition of our heart is essential. But here's the problem. Being honest about our heart is one of the hardest things any of us does. Uh, honestly, I, I personally believe that many Christians end up falling away because they deny the dark places in their heart. Here's what I want. Listen, I try to be a mature Christian. I try to be spiritually minded. And, and what I want to do is I want to think, well, because you're doing that, and you've been doing that for a long time, there aren't any dark places in your heart anymore. And that's a lie. If you don't see the dark places in your heart and the potential you have to fail, you're going to fail. Don't you remember on the last night, Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me? Betray me. Remember what the apostles all said? Lord, is it I? See, they each saw within themselves the potential to fail. It's easy to excuse dark areas of all sorts in our heart because we don't want to admit we have them. And when we refuse to admit we have them, then we don't guard against them. See, long before our bodies move, our heart is moved. And we ignored it instead of fixing it. Long before we sell out something or someone that matters, our heart is hardened and we no ignored the growing coldness. There's probably people here tonight and you know your heart is colder towards this church, towards me, towards the leadership here, towards Jesus and the things of God. It's colder than it was six months ago and so far you just let it go. Are you guarding your heart? Or are you excusing or ignoring what's going on? Listen, guarding a heart takes constant attention. Whether they are thoughts of worthlessness or lust, whether they are thoughts of fear or pride, we must battle to yield our heart and our mind to God's spirit as believers. We must guard our heart. By the way, if you're here tonight and you're not yet saved, you do not have the spirit of God in you to help you be sensitive to what's going on in your heart, nor do you have the spirit of God in you to give you the strength to overcome and get victory over what's in your heart. You need Jesus. I would to God that you would believe, trust him, call upon him. Let me ask you tonight, are you being honest with yourself about where your heart is, where it's not? But it's not just that we must guard our hearts if we're going to keep the important things of our life and our faith from being for sale. Here's the second thing. Turn up just a few pages to Proverbs 27. How can I make sure that my life and uh, my faith are, are not for sale. Proverbs 27. 
Here's the second thing. We must keep ourselves in places and around people that strengthen us. We must keep ourselves in places and around people that strengthen us. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Listen, being honest about how weak and easily influenced we are is essential, but it's one of the hardest things that any of us do. Proverbs also says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And sometimes I think we rightly guard ourselves against trashy music like Taylor Swift. It's a pretty package filled with D-U-N-G. You, you know good and well she's not godly. You know it. And, and, and we do better at guarding ourselves against that stuff and TV and, and movies, but you know what? Sometimes I think we're careless about the influence of people around us. Now, there's some people around us, we can't help the fact that they're around us. They're, they're family, they're people we work with. But listen, you've you got to begin to start by just being honest. Are they pointing you toward God or away? Are they pointing you toward your spouse or away? Are they pointing you to training your children in the ways of God or away? Are they pointing you to good character or away? Listen, if you're not honest about their influence on you, you know what? They're going to influence you in a bad way, and pretty soon you're going to sell something that you're going to regret selling. If you overestimate your strengths, then you lie to yourself and think these people aren't shaping your mind and heart and your views. Hear me, even the most adamant and mature and strong-minded individual in here is influenced by the people around them. Here's what I recommend. You should have people in the circle of your life that you're influencing for good. Listen, it is contrary to Christianity to you not have anybody in your life you're not trying to lift. <laughs> But you need to understand that those people you're trying to lift, they're also, they're influencing you in bad ways. Here's the second thing I recommend. Have somebody in the circle of your life, or better yet, two or three people in the circle of your life that lift you and make you better. And let them. You know, one of the best things ever, by accident, that I did was just had good people in my life after I got saved. See, see we underestimate how the people around us could just subtly rub off on us. And, you know, Satan works in inches, not in miles. And people around us are either making us better or they're making us worse. What kind of influence are your friends, your family, the people you spend the most time with? Again, I, I, please, I'm not implying don't be around your family. Listen, you've heard me millions and millions of times say, listen, your family, your key relationships in life. But you need to recognize who's influencing you for good and bad. Are you being honest about who's sharpening you or dulling you? Are there some people you need to add to your life? Are there some people that are in your life and you need to be more careful around them? It's not just that we must keep ourselves in places and around people to sharpen us, if to keep from being for sale. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> I 
What do I do to make sure I'm not for sale? Any key areas of my life or my faith? Because by the grace of God, I have been blessed to continue in the faith now for 39 years. And I hope, by the grace of God, I die in the faith. That's what Hebrews 11 says about all those people. These died in faith. Uh, By the way, not everybody does that. Some people start off in the faith and then they veer off. I want to die in the faith. What do I do to keep from being for sale? We guard our heart. We keep ourselves in places and around people that strengthen us. Here's the third thing. Decide to be steadfast and unmovable in the things that matter most. This is a good memory verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You realize most of America is controlled by their feelings. Uh, If I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say or heard somebody in television say something to the effect, follow your heart, I'd be a rich man. And that is literally some of the absolute worst advice you could ever give or get. If anybody ever tells you, follow your heart, just a red flag ought to go up and say, that's devilish advice. Your heart is deceitful. And desperately wicked, just like mine. <laughs> and if that were not enough, Proverbs 28, 26 says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. So I don't like that kind of talk. Well, take that up with God. Listen, I, I'm not saying pretend you don't have feelings. I, I'm saying this. Uh, God gave you a heart to feel and he gave you a mind to think. And you ought to keep them both on. And if you don't allow your feelings to be corralled in by truth, understand something that's dear is going to be for sale. Being steadfast is a choice. Being unmovable is a choice. Neither of those are feelings, and they both contradict our feelings at times. Do you know one of the keys to a healthy marriage is to be steadfast and unmovable in committing our body, our mind, and our heart to our spouse? Unmovable. Unmovable by the attention from anyone else at work or church. If you don't think that stuff happens in churches, you, you, you don't pay any attention to what happens. Uh, one of the keys to moral purity and moral exclusivity is steadfast and unmovable in what our Creator defined as moral and immoral. Listen, I've known lots of people, they're real committed to purity till they find the right person. Steadfast, your promise to God to be pure. Not allowing loneliness and fears to control your moral values. One of the keys to being committed to the Lord's church and ministry and sound doctrine is just to be steadfast and unmovable in it. Hey, learn where the Lord has placed you and be unmovable. Listen, I don't revisit uh, ever Am I supposed to be at Bible Baptist Church? Am I supposed to be the pastor here? God told me that once, and I don't revisit that until he tells me to do something else. He knows where I am. I feel bad for for those of you in here. Every Sunday, you should I go to church today? I I feel bad for you. What what, What a terrible way to live your life. Well, I wonder if Bible Baptist is right for me. Listen, God, if God sent you here, 
then stop turning that rock over and just say, hey, this is my church. I'm going to be steadfast and unmovable. I'm not going to be moved because somebody didn't shake my hand. I'm not going to be moved because somebody didn't, uh, was mean to me. I'm not. Just stop. Have you done this? Have you made a conscious decision to be steadfast and unmovable from your church and sound doctrine? Are you flippantly just following your heart? Oh, it feels so good. You know, there's one thing worse than being controlled by your feelings. Being controlled by your children or teenagers. I I can't think of a more fickle, immature way to make your decisions in life. But it's not just we must decide to be steadfast and unmovable in the most important things. And lastly, very briefly, number four, we must make effort to keep the good things and good relationships in our life healthy. Do you know the best protection for your marriage is a healthy marriage? Time, effort, thoughtfulness. Do, do, do you know the best protection for not leaving your ministry your church is keep healthy relationships invest pray spend the best preventative medicine to not crashing and burning in your walk with god is just say you know what my time with god really matters to me do you look forward to it Do you look forward to your prayer time? Do you look forward to your time in your Bible? You know, I can't, every day I don't, most of the time I do. Sometimes I get caught up in the trap of looking forward to my words with friends game. And I let my quiet time be for sale for a game. That's a bad thing. Are you for sale? I, I just I plead with you. I mean, I mean, what a terrible way to be the prodigal son. Thank God he came home. Thank God his father ran to, to meet him. Thank God there was grace and mercy and a robe and a ring. But what a terrible way to look back and just think all your life about how you hurt your dad. And to think about the time in the pig pen please take the for sale sign out of your yard. Don't put it in a garage. Throw it away. If you'd quietly stand.